Welcome to Tag One Team Talks, brought to you by Tag One Consulting. With Drupal 7 rapidly approaching and Drupal 9 already end of life, we are hearing people talk about migrating and upgrading more than ever before. And anyone who has ever been involved with a large-scale migration, migrating a large site or application from one technology stack to another, will tell you that it's complex, time-consuming, and it demands expertise. That's why we're bringing you this series of talks, diving deep into the world of Drupal migrations. And who better to guide us than TechOne's very own Drupal migration experts. From the master masterminds and maintainers of Drupal's migration tooling, to the individuals behind the most groundbreaking Drupal migrations, we've got an all-star lineup who cover everything you need to know about every aspect of migrating large-scale applications. This team talk is part of the three-part series about ETL, Extract, Transform, and Load Process, which is used by many enterprise migration systems, Drupal's Migrate included. In today's, in today's episode, we're going to talk about how to use Drupal's Migrate system to transform the data before loading it into the Drupal's database. Be sure to stick around to the end because we are going to announce the next few talks in our series. Let's dive in. I'm Yannis Senior Engineer here at Tag1 and a longtime contributor to Drupal. I'm joined today by well-known top contributors to Drupal, Benji Fisher, one of the five current Drupal Migrate Corsum system maintainers, and Mike Ryan, co-creator of Migrate. Welcome. Thank you both for joining. Thanks for having us. We're glad to, to have you. <laughs> Before we dive in, I would just like to mention that in case you didn't already watch or listen to the previous episode in this series about E extract, uh, we'd suggest that you do so. Uh, in that episode, we, among other things, provided a high-level overview of what ETL stands for. So uh, we'll not repeat that uh, in this episode. And now, finally, let's dive into today's topic, which is T transform. Mike, could you tell us what is being done as part of the transform phase in general and how Drupal does it? Is it like similar to how other enterprise systems do it or are there any specialties to it? One difference from your classic UTL is the classic UTL usually goes in bulk. You extract all your data into a big blob, then you run it through a transformer, which transforms everything and then you run it into a loader, which does a bulk load. Our approach is to run through the data one logical row at a time. We say row because most often we're dealing with databases as our sources, but uh, technically it could be anything like any form like a uh, web service or CSV. Basically, we use the Drupal plugin system. And you can, for a given pipeline, each field that is being run through the pipeline um, can go through any number of transformers because they're plugins. It's very flexible. There's a YAML format you can use to write your migrations, which uh, specifies for each field what plugins it's going to transform with and whatever configuration you have. So it takes the output of the source plugin in all the source plugins, regardless of the source, CSV, et cetera, produce a common data structure. 
which feeds into the transformer and the transform pipeline will take one row from that and it will go through each piece of the process, the transform step, uh, we call it process in Drupal and apply the transformers and we, each transformer can take actually multiple fields from the source row, or it can take none. You might use a processor that simply sets a constant value. And the transformers can be very flexible and for the most part, they're not very Drupal dependent. You'll do a lot of string manipulation, for example. See, I'm not sure what else there is to say about the general process, but one thing I'd like to add at, at this point is that um, sometimes we, we cheat. We, we don't strictly follow the ETL paradigm, but we take a peek at the database. So for example, we might look for an existing taxonomy term that has name dessert, or we might check how the editor is configured. So that's one way in which it's very Drupal specific and, and doesn't strictly follow the ETL paradigm. You have complete flexibility. You can do anything you want, good or bad. Like always. And maybe while we're mentioning bad things to do in these processors, yeah, it should be noted that this pipeline is run for each source row in your data. And when dealing with uh, multiple value fields, it might run several times for one source row. So the processing pipeline is a key place to watch performance. One, one slow processor will kill the overall operation process. Makes sense because it will be run a lot of times and that adds up, right? So thousands, millions. Yeah. It can take days that we discussed before. So Benji, I heard you state in the past that the transform stage is the most interesting part of the migration. And I know for the fact that you're probably the most excited about it in the whole ETL migrate world. Why is that? Yeah, you're right. And, and this is something that I decided when I first started working for migrations. And by the way, I am the most junior member of the current maintainers and, and I have a lot less experience than most of them or, or than Mike. So I, I defer to Mike on, on questions of yeah, experience and performance and large scale migrations, but, but I do have some pretty strong opinions about the, the transform stage, the process plugins. The first reason that it's the most interesting is that any migration project will be broken up into a bunch of different migrations. And each one of those migrations will have a single source and a single destination. But any one migration has many fields. So if you have a migration for your article notes, it'll have a body field, it'll have a couple of timestamps, it might have taxonomy and images, and so on. Each one of those fields is going to have at least one process plugin, one transformer is like described to them. And some fields will have several transformations. In that sense, it's 
for the most variety is one, each migration again has one source plugin, one destination plugin, but can have many transformation plugins or process plugins. The second thing is that the transform stage, the process plugins are where you have the most opportunity for reasoning your code. So if you look at the source plugin, it has to understand whatever cruft is involved in your source data, the site you're migrating from. And the only time you're going to be able to reuse a source plugin is if you have the same type of source. So once you've written a source plugin for a WordPress XML file, you can reuse that. And once you've written a source plugin for Drupal 6 or Drupal 7, you can reuse that. The destination plugin, almost always migrating into Drupal entities. They could be taxonomy terms or nodes, menu links are, are entities. Um, and the core migration system already understands the destination. So that's already done. But getting from one to the other is, in, in my opinion, the interesting part and the part that has the most opportunity for reusing code. That's why I think that the transform stage is the most interesting. Yeah, it's it, for most migrations, you'll find that the source and the, the extract and the load phases, you simply need to use core plugins in some configuration. You don't usually need to do very much PHP coding. It's the process plugins where you're most likely to need to write your own plugins, write your own application logic, because that's where you're transmogrifying your data to the new system. Although there are some people who prefer to do it all in the source plugin, they'll just write all their custom PHP there and prepare everything so that it's ready to be imported. And again, I don't like that approach because it, you, you can't reuse the code if you do it that way. Yeah, it makes it way, way harder to reuse it. It's also against the ETL paradox because then you're basically trying your way to separation of different phases that we're trying to introduce here. Yep. So to be a little bit more concrete, what would be the most common transform operations in a migration? Like what would we do in transform or process plugins? Yeah. So by, by far the most common is, is just a string copy you have a text field and you pass it over to the new text field, which often has the same field name. Sometimes you decide to change that as part of your site redesign. That's the most common. Um, and that that's almost not using a transform plugin at, at all. It's, it's technically using the get plugin, but uh, it's not doing any transformation. Another common thing is that you, your source has a comma separated list of values and you split that into pieces and you convert each word into a taxonomy term ID. So that's something that comes up pretty commonly. Another really important one is since Drupal deals with structured data, you might have 
references to other nodes, other taxonomy terms identified by their entity IDs. And if those entity IDs are changing as they often do in a complex migration, then you have to translate the old entity ID, the ID on the source system to the new entity ID. And that's possible because the migration system keeps track of the old and new entity IDs. So that, that's a really important one. Some other things you might want to do is make your site better as you're transforming it. So if you see that people are consistently using CSS classes, font-bold, size-large, color-red, well, you can replace that with mycene-warning. And, and suddenly your CSS markup is a lot more semantic and a lot easier to maintain in the long run. Another common one is to convert date formats. Like maybe they're in your month's date format and you want to convert it to a timestamp or vice versa. And then there are a whole bunch of utility operations and you wouldn't think of these as the things you want to do to your data, but they're the things that end up getting used in the middle of the process. So flatten an array, combine several arrays into one, filter out empty values or apply a callback function. So those I think are, are the most commonly used process plugins. Mike, am I leaving anything out? Yeah. I think that those are the key ones. Um, I'm looking now at the list of all the ones that are in core, and maybe we might want to highlight a few other interesting ones here. While you're looking at, I just yeah. wanted to comment the callback one is an interesting one because it almost lets you cheat a little bit. It's your, yeah. it's your needs to introduce your custom logic but you don't want to create a plugin and go through all that. You can always use a callback, existing callback function the process plugin, and then just create a function in PHP, which will be called. And, or, or use a basic PHP function. If you don't or need use to wrap, function. you don't need to wrap trim in a plugin. You right. simply use callback, specify trim, it's the callback and boom, you got it. Most, Maybe this is a good time to mention that our, our show notes include some, some links to the documentation where we list all of the plugins that are in core and, uh, those will be available on, on our, our pages after we publish this talk. One, one of the interesting ones is static map. This is. It basically, it's like translating enums. That is, if the source field contains a finite list of distinct strings and those need to be different on the Drupal side, you use a static map plugin, which says change this string to that string. And that's uh, very handy in a lot of cases. Or, or if you're dealing with NFL team names and, and the Redskins are now the commanders, you can say that this finite list of, of names has changed and anything else you pass through unchanged. Yeah. And then the, the Cleveland guardians in baseball. I'm seeing subprocess, and that is one of the more complicated ones that Klaus to 
to do some really uh, complicated things when a field consists of a list, an array. And it allows you to basically have a sub-process pipeline for the pieces of this source field. And this is very complicated and technical. <laughs> I'm not going to go through it right now because I always have to relearn it when I need to use it. Will a sub-process sub use the same set of plugins as the main migration with source and transform and all of those things? Oh, no, the, the source, rather than being a role from your source plugin, the source is the contents of the field the extracted field. So okay, yeah, it's used on fields, which themselves have structure. But, but it does use or have access to all the same um, process plugins that the but general yes. transform stage has. Which yes. obviously is immensely powerful then. It is, it is. In theory, instead of migrating your taxonomy terms, that's a bad example because we've got a shortcut for that, but User accounts, in theory, instead of doing them in a separate migration from your main content migration, you could do them dynamically within a sub-process within your content migration. We do not recommend that. Like I said, that the process plugins are very powerful and you can cut yourself. Um, there is a plugin for copying files, which if you're going from one system to another, an old version of Drupal to a new one, uh, you want your images, your videos, your documents to come across too. And the file copy plugin is very flexible because it gives you a few different options for doing that and for doing it performantly. For example, it could simply copy it into Drupal's public files directory. And it can keep track. You, you can set a flag on it so that if the file already exists at the destination, you don't overwrite it. And that's great for your performance when you're rerunning migrations, especially during development. You can also, now I'm trying to remember the other, but of course you could use it to copy. Love Directly into the files directory, you could copy it to an S3 bucket or some other storage service. Uh, or I think that I had the use case in the past where we needed to copy files from like another website into our local file system as part of the migration. I think the some copy was used, which is obviously terribly slow. And, and a little tidbit is that the file copy relies on the download plugin if the source is remote. And that uses Guzzle in a way that's slightly different from anywhere else it's used in Drupal core and causes some interesting test failures in years. Yes. You, you have, sometimes you have to be clever to make things work in work reportingly. Yes. I also remember. During one of the migrations I was working on, 
we use file copy to copy files like from NSS probably to another public sites folder, uh, public files folder. And we were actually copying files and that slowed the migration a lot. And then we figure out that it's better to our sync before running the migration. And then this check, if the file exists, kicks in and you don't need to copy, you just find it there. And that sped up the, the migration significantly. But we're getting into performance considerations now, which is another talk for the, in the future we will be doing. What about content? What kind of interesting process plugins can we find in concept that are not part of core? Oh, so many, so many. I need to jog my memory here and take a look. So the migrate plus module is an add on to the core migration system and it has a number of interesting ones. There are several, several plugins for manipulating and, and scanning a DOM document object model. So you can scan your HTML or XML and find extract the span with the text bold class that's in the underneath a P, for example, if you need to manipulate that piece of your content. There is entity lookup entity generate that makes it easy to find a matching entity that's not one necessarily one that you migrated and which you can find via the map tables that migration provides. But if you're migrating into a system, you've got a, maybe a taxonomy there you want to hook up to, you can use entity lookup to find a matching term in that vocabulary and link to it. And you can also use entity generate, which does the same thing, but also if it doesn't find the matching term would create it for you. Let's see, there's file blob. If you've got file data in a database blob, you can convert that to a real file with that. A blob reminded me of the beginning of my career, which predates Drupal, uh, where I had experience with proprietary CMS that was really into storing all files in the database. It was fun. Yeah. So those, and. Those are the ones that pop out to me immediately besides Flagrate Plus, which is a grab bag of several different uh, plugins. There are several other contributed modules that have plugins of all sorts. And before you go writing your own plugins, take a look through the contrib modules that are available on Drupal.org and you might find someone has already solved your problem. Maybe they've got a soap plugin. Actually, I know they do because I wrote it. But whatever your scenario is, assume you are not that unique until you prove you are. Yes. <laughs> and Migrate has been around for years, like probably more than a decade at this point. And it migrated maybe 
enterprise large-scale applications. So I'd be almost convinced that if there is a use case, it has probably already been done. Yeah, it started out as a contributed module. Mike and Mox Weitzman developed it in Drupal 5 or Drupal 6? 6. Okay. Yeah. 6. I think we may have started trying it for 5 and we jumped ahead to 6 because 6 was more conducive to what we were doing. Yeah, my first experience but, with it was the Drupal 7 version. Yeah, the first big project, the first I you would know was the economist, economist.com way back in the day, which I think also sponsored a lot of initial migrates module work, right? Yes. Yes. After economist, it was examiner.com, which the examiner sponsors a lot of the seven work, right? Yes. They sponsored most of our port to seven. Martha Stewart living about, about that time too. Yeah. Speaking about history, what do you have any anecdotes or any interesting or unusual process related use cases that you've experienced in the past? Oh boy. They, they're all jumbled together. One I don't want to remember is the time her client thought we had created a major security breach because uh, our development migration suddenly started sending out emails to all their customers. And this was the migration, and this is something to watch out for. The migration system actually explicitly disables uh, the mail system while running, uh, which we thought was safe. But what happened was a module was enabled, which during the creation, which happens during migration, queues emails to be sent. And it was fine for a while because this was a development system and that no one saw, but a one little ping on port 88 to that system caused Cron to run. It was using the lazy Cron or whatever you call it. Romance Cron? Boom. Those, yeah. So those emails started going out and caused quite a stir. So, imagine that. yes, you, you, this is something you do need to be careful about is um, effects. Whatever effects the ultimate website might have beyond itself, be careful that you control them within your development and testing system. Which is good advice in general, not just for yeah, Yes. And this is where I find DDEV, which is one of the projects that we are really excited about at Tag One, really useful because I believe that DDEV will reconfigure your development environment to redirect uh, emails into like this mail application mail that is made for MailHog. Yeah, it, it, it basically redirects everything in there and it stays just in memory, even I think. So if you are inside DDEV with regards to mails, you can be pretty sure that no matter what's going on, you're safe. 
And it's handy too for testing your outgoing emails, testing the formatting or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's probably the usual use case what I was created. Yeah. Um, but it, it does leave the side effect. It also provides a layer of security and peace of mind. I, there, there are two points here. I want to make sure we, we don't lose track of them. The first is that while you're developing, no emails will be sent out. But the second one is equally important. You have to look at the emails that did get captured by Nailhog because those are the ones that will be sent out in real life when you're on yeah. production and not local. Yeah, make sure your tokens are being substituted, all that stuff. Yes. Benji, what about you? Do you have any interesting stories from the best? Yeah. And I'm really flattered that when Mike was going through the list of plugins in Migrate Plus, the first ones he's singled out were the Dalton Processing plugins, because that was one of my contributions. And, and what, what, let me call out, this was on a project for Pegasystems, and I was working for Isovera at the time with Marco Viegas. And uh, we, we developed the first DOM processing plugins, and both Isovera and Pega were supportive of contributing that back to Migrate Plus. And I guess the original problem I was trying to solve is that, as I said earlier, the node IDs were changing. So if we have separate entity reference fields, Drupal could already handle that. And just using the Migrate Lookup plugin, and you could say that the next article used to be node one, two, three in the migrated system, it's node four, five, six. You can do that translation. But what if you have a text field and inside that text field, there's anchor link and the anchor href goes to node slash one, two, three. How do you translate that to node four, five, six? And part of the answer was to use proper DOM processing. And so I realized, I guess I, I had the idea on an earlier project and I didn't get to make it happen until it was actually needed here. Everyone knows that you shouldn't be processing HTML with regular expressions, but people do it when anyway. Had been. <laughs> yes. People do it anyway, because it's the tool they know it's convenient and so the first step was to introduce some process plugins to make it easy to do proper DOM processing so that you, you, you have less overhead in creating that DOM document object and the XPath object and so forth. Once you've eliminated the overhead, it is often both simpler and more reliable to do the proper HTML processing rather than to do things with regular expressions. And in fact, if you look at the search API module, um, I just ran into a case where it's not only simpler and more reliable, it's also more performant to do processing. And there's, there's an open issue on the search API module that, that handles that. So anyway, that was my original purpose for putting the DOM processing plugins in on that project with Pega. Since then, um, some other people have done work on that. There's a contrib module that builds on the DOM processing plugins and it handles if you have the media module on your Drupal 7 module, on, on your Drupal 7 site rather, and you want to migrate that to the core media module in Drupal 10, it understands the tokens that the Drupal 7 media module used 
and, and handle transforming your text fields. I had a really complicated project where we not only had to migrate the site um, from Drupal 7 to Drupal 8, that point, I think it was. We also had to import some really complicated XML documents into the site. And that project gave me a real appreciation for the expressive power of expat, because that was the only way to manage these really complicated XML structures. Um, and luckily we already had the, the DOM processing plugins available. Another complicated project I had was that we had these HTML text fields and, and each text field had just some image tags in it. So basic HTML markup. And we wanted to download the files from those image tags and save them as files and create media entities out of them. And then just insert the media references into the text field. I did that with a uh, custom PHP plugin. And I, I do want to point out that this is a thing where you can shoot yourself in the foot, not following the ETL paradigm. You don't have a row creating each one of those media items. And it, it does have certain disadvantages because it breaks the ETL paradigm, but it is a practical way to handle that sort of situation. Um, Another weird one I had was a single HTML page. Um, in the source site was Drupal 7, and you would think looking at this page, oh, this page is a view. It's listing the person content type. But in fact, it was just a basic page, and all, all the markup was just there in the body field. And we wanted to pick it apart and create person nodes, and then create a view of the person nodes. And so luckily the markup was consistent. It always started with an H3 tag, it had a title, and that was immediately followed by an image tag. So there was that consistency that I could take advantage of. I extracted the, the title into a text field. I extracted the image, created a file media entity, and then, and, and then just stripped those from the body field and let an actual view in the Drupal, I think that was Drupal 9 at that point, let that put the pieces back together to make something like the original source site. And the last one that I noted down was again for Pega, and we were importing documentation from an external XML-based system. So this wasn't a site migration, this was a recurring migration that someone was writing the documentation in this external system, and we had to import it into the Drupal site and make it look like it fit the rest of the site. And, um, and that's where I did the sort of thing I talked about before, where you look for some consistent pattern of CSS classes and say, okay, we're, we're going to replace that with something more semantic. And, um, and again, this used the DOM plugins and it also peeked at the current database, the destination database to see how the editor module was configured so that we could pick and choose the CSS classes that were at the 
current site editors would naturally be adding through the user interface. And we added those same CSS classes programmatically through the migration. So those are some of the more complicated cases I've had in, in the transform stage. Very nice. I guess that this brings us to the end of today's episode, unless you have anything more to add. I'm good. We have some great talks coming up. Our goal is to put one per week over the next few months to support the community in the migration process. Performance is something we care deeply about Take one, and we did touch performance in today's episode a little bit because it applies to migrations. When you're handling really large data sets, um, a full data migration can take 12 hours or even days. We'll do a handful of talks in this topic, including how to profile and tune a migration and a talk about the incremental migrations. Every project owner wants their migration to be a success. So we will dedicate an episode to discuss the most important factors for a successful Drupal 7 to Drupal 10 migration. Other topics include porting custom code, the future of migrate tooling, how to port a theme, and so much more. We hope that you'll tune in and enjoy our upcoming team talks. A huge thank you to the Tag One team. Angie Fisher and Mike Ryan, thank you for joining me. Make sure that you check out the other segments in this series. There will be links to them in the show notes, along with uh, links to the modules and documentation and other things that we mentioned today. If you like this talk, please remember to upload, subscribe, and share it. Uh, check out our past talks at tagone.com slash ttt. That's three T's for Tag One Team Talks. As always, we'd love your feedback and any topic suggestions. You can always write to us at ttt at tagone.com. Again, that's three T's for Tag One Team Talks. One more time, big thank you to our guests and everybody who tuned in. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Bye.